Hello, good evening, and welcome. I'm Simon Bestwick. And I'm Gemma Files, and this, of course, is No Darkness, Darkness, But Ours. ours. Welcome to the second part of our discussion on underground horror. You can find a link to part one in the description below. Now, without further ado, here's the second part of our discussion on No Darkness, But Ours. An Australia, a 2011 Australian film called The Tunnel. Mm-hmm. Uh, earlier and that is which is you know partly takes place in a lot of abandoned railway tunnels under the city of sydney and as somebody says at the beginning you know she says i had no idea there was this there was, a, there was the, the extent of this stuff it's like another city it's almost yes. like another city under this one yeah uh, exactly and you know and some of it is is uh, was repurposed as bunkers you know, um, and some of it, uh, some of it was, you know, like the in- the intention was to have subways. Yeah, didn't yeah. work out for one reason or another. Yeah, and so much of this, I mean, I recognise this as being from from Manchester, where I, where mm-hmm. I grew up. Um, there are there's a couple of very interesting books on underground stuff in Manchester. And there are big chunks of it that were kind of used or repurposed for one thing or another, like that for used as air raid shelters during the war mm-hmm. there were things used as landing stages for when the rivers were major were used for major commercial traffic um right and, you know, and, and there was actually and there was there was actually the guardian exchange a huge um cold war era nuclear bunker yeah um, your sort of communications hub um so you've got all of that stuff there's all and then there's also all these stories of other of other bits of tunnels and other all sorts of stuff that no one's quite sure what its origins are it's, i remember reading one of some people who claimed they kind of got into a tunnel under Cateaton Street, which is in the middle of, mm. of Manchester, and they were like, it was this very narrow, remain, and there was like this narrow cobbled street under the uh, under, under the, the present one, and there were like old Tudor buildings there, mm-hmm. and very very big rats. At which point they got the fuck out. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I mean, you know, it's it's like the underground, it's like the London Underground, right? Um, you know, yeah. which is not. You know, it's like the London Underground is everything that's under the ground uh, dealing with the, with the London subway. But yeah. at the same time, you know, you go down further, you get into Roman stuff, you get into, you probably okay. do get into Tudor stuff. Um, there's entire, uh, there's like an entire, isn't there an entire city in, um, in Scotland, uh, in... Uh, in Edinburgh, there's a place called Mary King's Clothes. There's, yes, there's yes. In Edinburgh that were just built where yeah. they just built new streets over them. Yeah, Mary where King's they just built one. new streets uh, over them. And they did the same thing in... in was Seattle. it Austin? No, Seattle. Well, yeah, yeah, you're Night right. Strangler, the Coltrack film, The Night Strangler takes place. That's right. And yeah. part of um, Malignant by James Wan takes place in the same... Oh, right. I'm not see- I need to see that one. Yeah, you do. Yes, yes. It is fucking insane. But yeah, there's an entire section that takes place down there. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. You know, and so, yeah. I'm thinking about the, the it. whole idea of the, of the red lair. I mean, the fact is that when you live in a city that has been built up and built up and built then up. Just, you know, almost like it's like. Yeah. Stuff gets built over and over and over, and especially yeah. in cities sort of where I mean, like somewhere like London, that's kind of sprawled outwards. Other other cities have had to kind of make use of a limited amount of space by putting by knocking one mm-hmm. thing down, sticking another one on top, and so you have all of these. It's very strange when I um uh 
when I worked at the co-op in the co-op uh, insurance company in Manchester, there's a little place nearby called Angel Meadow, and it's just beautiful. Now it's like a lovely little park. Right. Um, but it actually, in the 19th century, it was one of the it was the worst slum in Manchester. Um, Engels wrote, wrote about it in the condition of the working class. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's um, I mean, there's even a flight of steps which are called the Angel Steps because supposedly um, the because it was near the cemetery and it was where, where they near, near where lots of you know infants who died as as ba- you know, infant deaths were mm-hmm. buried and so the the angel the angel was said to watch over it you that get all that sense. technology there but you know there's all that just lying under the surface you, if, if you didn't have the kind of the the signs of telling you the history of the place you would have no idea like of, an angel maker or you know it's like yeah. when when they keep uh, breaking into plague pits right yeah <laughs> it's like you you would think that somebody would have made a map at some point. It's like, don't yeah. dig there, because you're going to break into a plague pit. Of course, this would often be before a lot of these plague pits predated the the germ the, the germ theory of disease. People were still often thinking in terms of, you know, the miasma theory or yeah. um, that it was caused by demons or, or, or whatever. <laughs> so it was um, just like, you know, um, in... There's, uh, oh, the salt mines of Kutnahora. I mean, mines in general, mines in oh, general yeah. are, yeah. like, horrifying. There's a, there is a brilliant, I mean, think, I mean, the more I think about it, the more I've written quite a few stories that explore the theme of mm-hmm. kind of the, the underground. I mean, there, there's a story man called Below, which uh, was in Terror Tales of the Northwest and got oh, picked cool. Best Horror, um, which was you know, based on a lot of these kind of, Myths and legends and this whole idea of all these different levels to Manchester. Um, and there's also, um, I mean, there's the, of course, there's the Narrows, which was based on um, mine workings near where I lived um, yeah. in Swinton. There's a place called Worsley, which is now a very, it's now quite a sort of posh little mm-hmm. suburb. Um, but was like kind of the, the epicenter of the Industrial Revolution. The canals there are still sort of like famous for having a kind of orangey colour from all the iron oxide. Oh, God, still- yeah. But there's a place there called the Delph, which is an old Lancashire dialect, but literally meaning a, a delved or dug place. Yes. And this is the entrance to the, I think it's called the Salford Levels. It's like, because um, this was obviously at the middle of one of the biggest coal fields in the northwest. Right. And there are there are basically miles, several miles of going down about four different levels of canals under the ground. And wow. The coal will be brought up in these boats, which basically, if you can imagine a canoe with mm-hmm. kind of like steel reinforcing rooms on the outside to make more room inside. These were called starvationers. Yeah. The appearance. And they'd be propelled by basically, you'd fill it up with coal and some poor sod would lie on yeah. the top, usually with the ceiling about yay, about yay far above his Oh my God. Face, and would basically put the feet on the ceiling and walk the boat up through the, the tunnels. Um, Wow, was the I mean, as uh, you know, this was obviously going to be obviously it was always going to inspire some form of of horror uh, fiction, and there's yeah, some... there's, there's no way it couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I grew up reading um, a lot of Richard Davis's science fiction and horror anthologies, um, including the Spectre series, and yeah. there was an author he published he used to publish called Guy Weiner or Weiner. Um, and I don't know if he ever appeared in anything but a Richard Davis anthology. It was quite possibly a, uh, a pseudonym. But he wrote a really good horror story called What Happened in the Mine, where a bunch nice. of young, bunch of mine workers, some of them little more than children, of course, during the Industrial Revolution, get trapped by a mine cave and are trying to find their way back to the surface. And 
you know, you know they, they go through very, you know, some of, the, some of them are just killed and things mm-hmm. it falls and what have you. And then they discover that there are these creatures down there, not kind of like the crawlers and the descent. They're more like kind of hideous serpentine creatures that slither in the, the murky Worms water. of the earth. Yeah. Yeah. Or kind of like maybe the lampton worm, kind of something along those uh, lines. That's true. That's true. I remember that one being a deeply, I think there's you know, one, one, one of them survives and whether she's actually, uh, you know, whether, whether she's actually still compass mentis after all that, um, <laughs> whether, whether, you know, whether, whether she's at, whether she, the extent to which she can really be said to have survived is very much, very much up in doubt. Um, so yeah, I mean, mines are, I mean, yeah, with it, that's, that is us digging that don't no digging here um, yeah no absolutely and and often there's that idea of we dug too deep and yeah. we let something out um elizabeth angstrom's when darkness loves us uh is <laughs> absolutely horrifying um little novella i think um basically about uh, a girl who falls down into a subterranean world through like a crack, a crevice. Um, and uh, she is she is down there um, and is basically, I think she's pregnant when she when she gets down there and gives birth to a child, a, a son who, then impregnates her several other other times and then eventually um she uh comes back up to help him find a wife to help him find some or help her her grandchildren maybe to find a, a wife <laughs> some serious sawny bean shit there yeah no Which some serious sawny bean shit and yeah again the the idea of you know it's like well we you know, we're we're just kind of fucked up people. You know, we found each other. That's great. Um, but I, yeah, but I think the best thing to do would be to find a cave somewhere where we can just screw and screw and screw, and then our kids can screw and screw and screw. And you know, whenever we need uh, food, we can just go out and you know s- grab some people off the road. Um, yeah. That that side pocket of Jack Ketchum and yeah, offspring, off season and offspring, off, off yeah. season and offspring, and you know which is which are basically Sonny Bean narratives. You know, yes. uh, there's isolation, and in that isolation, people burrow down into the earth and they create a society for themselves. Yes, and that isolation, that isolated society, gives birth to these completely feral human beings. You know. Yeah. We see that time again. Uh, it's of cannibalism again as this kind of great taboo, yes. which kind of makes you, you get, because of course it's the kind of thing that would often make somebody an outcast. Yes. Kind of, yeah. I mean, just thinking about it, just having a look at the some of the stories, I, some of the movies I put on my list here, there's, I mean, there's The Descent, of course, um, right. The Midnight Meat Train. Yes. Uh, and there's another. And Creep, not the Mark Duplass film. The, That's right. Uh, 2004 film with Frank. Creep with Sean Harris. It yes. was actually one of the first things I ever saw Sean Harris in. Yes. And is. Harris is this fascinatingly weird looking dude, um, a brilliant actor. Um, yeah. But, you know, if you've ever seen him, you'd recognize him. He has this strange downturned face. He almost looks like 
he almost looks like he's scarred, but I don't think he actually is scarred. Yeah, but he's very good at playing characters who have that kind of emotional scarring, and of course, playing from playing. He mm-hmm. uh, he was in the TV uh, uh, drama See No Evil, which was about the Moors murders. That's right. Brady. That's right. Played Ian Brady, and um, he played uh, uh, Cesare uh, Borgia's um, favorite assassin in the oh, <laughs> And of course. Uh, <laughs> Of course, he's in Possum as well, which is just a fantastic. Yeah, Possum's amazing. Um, but yeah, it, this was the first thing I'd ever seen him in. And he is a guy who, through really strange, convoluted circumstances, has just been living in the London Underground. Um, yeah, I'm not quite like, sure if made clear exactly how he's, exactly what's made him that way. or he's just mm, not... I, I think there there's like some implication of uh, medical uh, experimentation. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure if I still have my copy of it. I definitely want to watch it again. I mean, Franca Patente is always amazing. But, you know, yeah. So Franca is this um, fairly high powered uh, chick who accidentally ends up getting locked inside of the London Underground after all the trains stop and begins uh, to realize that there is a person down there, the creep who um, picks off whoever is stuck down there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In the same, and of course, in the same breath as this, we cannot, we, we, we have to mention Deathline. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, mind the doors. Mind the doors. Um, you know, yeah. yeah, I mean, the whole point of Deathline is that, you know, while digging a much deeper um, line in the London under, Underground, which... Um, doesn't end up being used. There's uh, there's a cave-in and a bunch of people get stuck down there and... Um, the company just leaves them. Yeah, the company just leaves them because fuck it. And, <laughs> and they, you know, and, and they and their children degenerate and degenerate and degenerate until there's basically just one guy left. Yeah, <laughs> with his pregnant wife who then dies, leaving him the last of his entire... And it's Hugh Species. Armstrong, I think, is the name of the actor. And, yeah. I mean, as with as with Creep, this yeah. is um, yeah. There are a lot of similarities. One of the strongest similarities is both of these films have uh, a very strong and you know layered performance by a very very fine actor in a role that has little or no dialogue. That's right. Uh, I mean, literally, the only thing he says is "mind the doors." It's the only. They're the only words in english he knows and he's trying to communicate to this poor girl that he's kidnapped yeah uh, all he can do is try and di- inject different different sort of, <laughs> sort of Mind the doors. Mind yeah. The doors. yeah she's 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 absolutely uh of course that poor, poor girl's absolutely terrified of him uh but yeah i mean that's the re- i mean a remarkable film with uh wonderful wonderful films from donald pleasance as this yes. kind of uh, miserable, uh, you know, sort of cynical and um, detective. Uh, yeah, yeah, and makes it makes quite a change from the kind of roles you kind of you kind of know him for, where he's often uh, I mean, the the comedian. I don't know if you ever, don't know if you ever saw Phil Cool. He was a he's retired now, but he was a comedian from Lancashire. Um, very good impressionist. He had one of these kind of really. He's very good at you know, what they call gurning, yeah. kind of very rubber faced, yeah. and he. Could, his impressions were always in, but he did this one, he did this one routine where he sort of said, 
you'll never, you know, sometimes impressionists get bored of doing impressions, so they start doing impressions of inanimate objects like Donald Pleasance. Inanimate, you say? Yes, I suppose so. Simple self hypnosis helps the nervous system, you say. <laughs> that is awful and yet wonderful. Yeah. Um, no, you're 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 absolutely true. You're absolutely right that you know the side pocket is the idea of the degenerated human being yeah. who often is the last of his or her breed. And um, you know, uh, I say her because um, the woman from the woman is mm. very obviously one of the offspring. <laughs> from it's offspring. Isn't it? Because because cannibalism is kind of marked out as this almost as this taboo mm. that once it once once you've done it. In yeah. in narrative fiction, you're seen as having been, as effectively having cut yourself off yeah. from the rest of human. And of course, we know in real life that doesn't that doesn't happen. There have been people. I mean, like in the, the I mean, interestingly, of course, how the uh, the Chilean football team who were stranded in the yeah. the is kind of not not exactly mythologized what they've done, but rationalized what they've done as a, or almost into an almost sacramental thing. It was a way. It was a way of of them keeping we were keeping yeah yeah it was keeping, a, them, keeping themselves alive and feeling that um the dead people that they ate would not have begrudged them this yes and that yes. it was a way to remember them and um and then of course that sort of intrudes into the narrative in yellow jackets um, um but I've heard it's yeah cool. yeah you absolutely need to see that in in a very weird, you know, out in the woods, girls doing strange, strange magical shit. You know? <laughs> of course, the big difference with the Andean football team now. I think about it is it yeah. that is what they call survival camp cannibalism. It's mortuary cannibalism. They're, kept, yes. they're eating people who are already dead. Yeah, as, as opposed to, to Sonny Bean. Yeah, uh, Sonny Bean is like I like to eat people because fuck them. You know, it's like yeah. every it's it's very um it's very Lannister, right? Yeah. Screw everybody who isn't us. Yes, yes. It becomes. You know? I mean, there was the thing of like you, know, you kill someone to eat. You know, there's there's no there's nothing else to eat, so we'll just kill someone and eat them. Mm -hmm. uh, to the kind of thing where it actually becomes a, a pre, you know a matter of preference. Yeah, the, um, the the transition from the wreck of the Medusa scenario to um you know the the terrible the uh, the picture in the house scenario. Where, yes. You know, yes. I kind of got a hankering for for meat. I nor raise, you know. I mean, in obviously in, in famines in in situations where there are terrible famines, I mean there are always reports of people resorting to cannibalism yes. to survive. And obviously, in some cases, they'd be eating people who already died. In others, you can imagine, you know, the, the more desperate sort of grouping together and preying on. On those who, I mean, again, it yeah, would be. Yeah, and actually uh, also eating their own kids. Yeah, yeah, that happened a lot. I mean, that's uh, that's getting straight, that's that's into some serious symbolic territory, isn't it? You know, the. Yes, it is. There's no future, you know, we're just, just devouring the future just to stay alive in the present, kind of. Uh, um, there's, a, there's a thing in The Walking Dead that I don't think ever. Uh, got into um, the. In The Walking Dead, the comic. That I don't think ever got into um, the actual. Uh, come on, the, the the actual series um, where 
the people who they meet who are cannibals, um, the Terminus bunch, um, began by eating their own children. Jesus. And, you know, and, and Rick hears about this and he just goes ape, fucking ape shit. <laughs> you know? Um, but, you know, the thing is that um, I, was, I was watching Hold the Dark uh, not too long ago. Oh, yeah. um, on Netflix, and uh, it is absolutely true that, you know, uh, the wolf dies, but the pack survives. You know, a pack of wolves will eat their youngest members. Yeah, you so can, that if the you breeding really pairs will survive. And then they if you can want to have... take it to the most utterly ruthless kind of brutal survival mm-hmm. rationalism, we, yeah, we eat these kids, we can always have more kids later on when, yeah. when we're not. Maybe we'll name those kids after the kids we ate. Yes. <laughs> I, I wouldn't personally, but you know, I mean <laughs> Yeah, who knows? Okay, so all right, so a lot of a lot of horror um uh okay, I'm I'm gonna go in one direction and then I'm gonna go somewhere else. Um okay. a lot of horror either starts underground or ends up underground. Um and there's this idea of holes leading down holes leading up, but also holes leading sideways, where you go down into a hole in the earth and you end up somewhere completely different. You yeah. know, like, um, for example, Laird Barron's old leech um, stories, uh, particularly Mysterium Tremendum. Um, Mysterium Tremendum is uh, a one of his very long stories, almost definitely a novelette, um possible you know it's like I, I I find it difficult to um tell the difference between a novelette and a novella sometimes but um basically uh a group of friends uh two gay couples go on this hike into the wilderness um they're going up into i believe the appalachian mountains and uh up there is a cave and a series of crevasses uh that somebody that they all knew who was a friend of theirs and was into some weird shit um fell into and never got back out of and um, the assumption is, uh, and this is, you know, and this is true in a lot of old leech stories, and I, I say the assumption is because this dude eventually comes back and actually tells you this. <laughs> but, you know, not only did he want to go down into that cave, but when he went down into that cave, he ended up somewhere completely different, like on another planet. You know, the uh, old leech is like this, you know, this Lovecraftian kind of god that uh, this endless sucking maw that um, lives on a planet somewhere on the other side of the galaxy. And um, you go through Old Leech and you, beca- and you emerge as something different. You emerge as almost like a, oh God, like a grub in the flesh of Old Leech. And at that point, you can come out of any hole anywhere. Right. Yes. And, um, you know, so sometimes in things like the broadsword, you might come out of somebody's, you know, somebody's wall in their room (laughs) in a hotel. You know, you might come out from underneath somebody's bed. (laughs) 
you know. Um, I've, I've got a lot more dark, got a lot of flared stuff I need to read. Yeah, any dark space can become the hole that you can emerge from. And, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it'll be a terrible, it'll be a terrible empty wasteland, but he'll be the, he'll be the ruler of it. How you like them apples, buddy? You know, it's like, it, it is very much like that. You know, it's, it's a, it's an absolutely depressing um, entropic vision of I, I guess how the universe works, but I guess uh, on some level, all of us kind of feel like, well, maybe the the, the universe is some horrible entropic leech. Yeah. Second and crapping and second and crapping and second and crapping, you know. Like uh, Clark Ashton Smith's is above Sathala, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And you can't, you know, the the best thing that you can hope for is that you serve it rather than not serve it. You know, because you're not going to be allowed to die either way. <laughs> you know, you're not going to be allowed to get it. It'll be a much less pleasant experience. Yes, exactly. Um, so, you know, it, uh, there is this real feeling. Uh, oh, and similarly in Jeff Long's The Descent, Jeff Long is obsessed with mountains. He has written a bunch of different um, stuff about mountain climbing because that's something that he's very into. Um, and so uh, the the cave that the descent begins in is actually, I think, near the top of a mountain in Tibet. <laughs> so like people are people are almost at the roof of the world, but there's still a cave. There's still a hole <laughs> that takes you. Woo! Straight down. Like the world's biggest game of snakes and ladders, basically. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. And there's this real feeling that, you know, no matter how high you are when you start, that the upper world is just a thin crust over the underworld. The underworld is much like the sea, so much bigger, so much bigger than anything we know. Yes, so much more. Oh, another underground horror one that we have to mention yes. uh, Henry Cutner's The Graveyard Rats yes. uh, truly truly terrifying story um, yes. the, um, I thought they, I mean the, the, the Cabinet of Curiosities adaptation on Netflix not so long ago, it wasn't bad um, yes. obviously added it made I think it made the protagonist a, a more obviously a more a slightly more sympathetic character than he is in the in the in the story where he's yeah just, which is weird because he isn't Super sympathetic in the adaptation. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, they, they make him. They make him. They make him sort of. They make him funny at least. Yes. And they also kind of imply that he's he's been he's he's kind of resorted to this out of uh, out of a kind of out of financial desperation. Which yeah. while it's still while it's not exactly admirable. Oh, stealing from the dead, the worst thing ever. You know. Yeah. I mean, which. Uh, oh yeah. Okay. So sidelong. Um, the autopsy. Michael oh, says yes. the autopsy uh, from yeah and and the adaptation from Cabinet of Curiosities has some beautiful mine work <laughs> you know the, the whole thing of being stuck in this mining town everything revolving around the mine and yeah. then the cave in you know the uh, the explosion um, which causes this huge rush yes. yeah yeah I, I know. That, uh... Um, 
Yeah, so uh, there's a there's a bunch of um, stuff that has been done fairly recently, which um, which revolves around uh, the creepy possibilities of mines. Uh, Black Mouth by Ronald Malfi, uh, where uh, when the night bells ring by Joe Kaplan, uh, and the Book of Accidents by Chuck Wendig, um, okay. and the fact that in Wendig's, Wendig's uh, is is very much a, a a sort of image of a Kingian multiverse, where um, somebody is moving from world to world to world and trying to kill other versions of himself. Um, but how he's doing it is to move through this mine through this hole at the bottom of the mine, you know, um, because the mine is a liminal space, right? You yeah. know, it's a hole. You go in the hole, you come out the hole, you, you know, um, it's a darkness that never goes away. And you go into the dark and you come out of the dark and maybe you're just, maybe you're somewhere else. Maybe you're somewhere different. And you can hear part three of our discussion of underground horror at the same time next week. No Darkness But Ours is made possible through generous donations from horror enthusiasts just like you. If you'd like to support us, you can sign up to our Patreon and get access to exclusive content, or you can make a one-off donation via Ko-Fi. Links in the description below. If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know in the comments, share and subscribe, and don't forget to hit the like button if you're watching us on YouTube. Let us know as well if there's anything you'd really like to hear us talking about in the future, and we'll be back with more at the same time next week. As ever, I have been Simon Bestwood. And I remain Gemma Files. And this and remains no darkness, darkness. but ours. <laughs>